The Lord is good. I'm going to be preaching today. It's going to be called Blurred Vision. My hopes that you leave here seeing more clearly today than when you came in. I want to use a little example for a minute. I hope this thing goes back up here. You see this? You see the Christmas tree? I want you to look at both of them at the same time. No, stop looking over there. <laughs> you got to look at both of them at the same time. No matter how hard you try, you can't. What the enemy tries to do is he tries to blur our vision by creating many things when there's only one thing that is needful for us. And that's why we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. This is Jesus speaking. He says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye is evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the question becomes, how does your body become full of light? Is it focused just on good things? What if you cut out all the bad stuff and you just watch good stuff from now on? Will it fill your body with light? No. That's what we've been taught, though. <laughs> we've been taught that if you cut out everything and you just focus on good stuff, it'll fill your body with light. No, it won't. I'm not for bad stuff. <laughs> this ain't a message propagating anything bad. But you see how the enemy can twist something so minute, and all of a sudden, we think just by observing good things, which the Scripture does tell us to do, set your mind on things above. Paul says whatever's honorable, whatever's noble, whatever's of good report, think on such things, meditate on them. But we're talking about filling our body with light. And what does the scripture say? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights? Ain't that what it says? I'm going to go to John chapter 1, verse 1. If it's just not focusing on good things that could fill our body with light, like what if we just watch more family-oriented shows? Would that fill your body with light? No, it wouldn't. Might give you a better attitude towards your family. <laughs> Not going to fill your body with light, though. You got to understand what light is. Light is something that lights a dark place. Light and darkness are completely opposite to each other. Light is something that actually dispels darkness. But I want you to hear what he says in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. He's the word which was made flesh that came and dwelt among us. Listen to verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Are you something that was made, crafted by the hand of God? Yes, you were. See, your parents can give birth to your natural body, no man can give birth to your spirit. It takes the spirit of God, which comes out of a man, because a man's filled with the Holy Spirit, then to speak to something dead inside you, which is your spirit, and bring it alive. And it's usually mixed with faith in the person who's actually speaking. 
that God has actually given them a message to deliver to somebody. When the faith is behind the one speaking, the message then is empowered by the spirit in the man, which is the Holy Spirit, the only one that can give life. So it doesn't matter if your parents didn't think much of you, your family didn't think much of you. The reality is, is that God is the one who actually created your spirit. And he knows us all by name. Me and Heather would go to Michigan and we would go to this food pantry and we would just pray for people. We were like the prayer team with my cousin Jamie and some of the other people from their church. And there was this young girl there. And we asked if we could pray for her, and she didn't even really want to be around us because I don't know if they're religious or what denomination they are, but you get the feeling that they probably thought we were crazy. And she said, no, no, that's okay, and she left, you know, and we would help people take groceries to their car, and I was coming back from taking the groceries to the car, and I seen her name across my mind when she went in, and it was Samantha. I thought, I wonder if that's her name. I was like, Lord, I, I know, I know you. And so me and Heather are walking out to the car to, with this lady, and we're going to help her load her groceries. And we're praying for the lady. And the word of knowledge is very relevant for today. And I wouldn't share this with you to make myself look spiritual. I could care less about any of that. I really could. <laughs> if you're like Steve, you're a heathen. I'd be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but <laughs> it doesn't matter. Jesus loves me. <laughs> You should too if you knew better. <laughs> I asked the lady after me and Heather load the groceries into a car and Samantha's there with us because she had some of her groceries. I said, can we pray for you? And we're praying for her. And I said, you have two sons, don't you? And she said, yeah. She said, I do. I said, they're not following the Lord now. I said, but in the days to come, you'll stand and you'll worship the Lord together. And you should have seen this mother because it's, like it's like the cry of her heart is her, her son's who aren't with the Lord. She knows I don't know her. I don't know her sons. But the reality is, is that God knew her and knew her sons and knew what was the most significant thing in her heart. And he used me, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, to bring something alive in her that probably died because she's looking at the natural. And all of a sudden you give a word and there's life there that brings clarity where vision got blurred. And it's the same with Samantha. As soon as we loaded the lady's groceries, I turned to Samantha and I said, we didn't know her name at the time, I said, your name's Samantha, isn't it? And she said, yep, I'm Samantha. She's like 14. I said, you didn't tell me your name. <laughs> and it dawned on her like, I didn't tell you my name. I didn't want to be around you guys. <laughs> and I told her, but the reality is, is that God knows your name. And it was important enough to him that you knew that he knew who you are. That none of us are without significance. That we all were created with destiny and purpose. And the only reason that Satan never comes is for the word's sake. This voice of I can or I never will, it's not the voice of the Father. The voice of the Father says that you can and you forever will. <laughs> because you've been sealed with the precious substance of God. You have the substance of God living inside of you. In a godless world, you are what they need. <laughs> You're what they need. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life 
was the light of men. In him was life, and that life was. That life was, is, forever will be the light of men. That word light, I thought it was really neat. It's luminous, of course, light. <laughs> but fire, then light in the Greek. John the Baptist stood up and said, There's one who comes after me whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. Single really just means set upon one thing. When our eyes focus on the one thing, there's a promise here in the scripture that our body will be full of light. And you know what he says? But if the light within you is darkness, he didn't say that there wasn't no light. He said, how great is the darkness? Which means that there can be darkness and light remaining in the same body. It's the words of Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, why? Because you're trying to look at two things at once. You know when you try to look at two things at once, they both become dark? They do. <laughs> they become blurred. Because the way that we are naturally with our eyes are the way that we are spiritually. You can't try to focus on your own self and Jesus at the same time. You can't be devil conscience and God conscience at the same time. You can't be afraid of the devil and all of a sudden thinking you're going to have faith towards God because you're looking in two different places. <laughs> Wherever you look has your attention. Like I said, the enemies of the tactics don't change. But listen to John chapter 1, verse 9. That was the true light. And then listen to what he says which lights every man that comes into the world. He's still talking about Jesus in context. He's saying that he was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. Every man. We established that single really just means set upon one thing. All right, listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says. It says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. So how are we changed? From beholding. Who? The Lord. He was the true light that lights every man. This scripture right here is not taken out of context. It's saying that when we behold God, we're changed into the same image. And there's a promise attached to this from glory to glory. Because the first time you behold Him is glorious. But that's not the end. There's a greater manifestation of glory that God wants to reveal to us, but most people act like the first time from beholding Him that's the glory part. I'm saved now. I beheld them and I'm saved. Now I have to change my attention to me. What am I doing? Now all of a sudden we're trying to see God with the lens that's focused on us and all we see is ourselves. Because that's what Christianity in the past has taught us. Right now we are in one of the biggest revolutions I honestly believe we'll ever see. And most people are focused on what's going wrong right now. 
If you have any eyes to see what the Spirit is showing or any ears to hear, you will know that we are on the precipice of something very, very significant in humanity's history. Very significant. This revolution, this revival that's coming is not going to be within because every other revival that we've seen was centered around a person. This one is centered around a person as well, but it's not a person who dies. It's a person who lives forever, who did die, but now is alive. That's why this movement will have no end, because it will grow in intensity, because now we're actually going to be beholding him our whole Christian experience. So we really will be what the scripture says, going from glory to glory. Every area of our life will continue to change the longer we behold him. And the moment the enemy comes and gets you to focus on yourself is the moment that you stop beholding him, but he's still beholding you. That's the thing. If you wake up in the morning and you think God's angry with you, you're beholding you. You're not beholding Jesus. (laughs) You can't be beholding Jesus if you wake up in the morning and think God's angry with you. Jesus died for you. The wrath of God was poured out on him, so you never have to see it. That rugged cross was my cross too. I wanted to get up and shout during that song. Sarah, I did. I just, I love that song. Because there's a hallelujah inside of us that is waiting to shout. Because our spirit is directly linked with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows what's coming. And like the song, he knows the mountains that he's removed that we haven't seen because he's going to usher us into something great. He wants us to be ready so that when it comes, we don't resist the Holy Spirit. Like when Stephen stands up in front of the Sanhedrin and he said, you and your fathers always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there not a prophet they didn't kill? That's what he said. And that was the same Holy Spirit the same Son of God that was sent to them. And that, there's that song, O Bethlehem, did you know that your Savior was born in a manger this morning? Did you know? Because the Spirit speaks expressly in the last times. And then it goes on to list a whole bunch of bad stuff. What about the Spirit speaking expressly for good things to the believers? Good things. Because Hosea 3.5, that men shall fear for the goodness of the Lord. When I wake up in the morning, I really am filled with hope every single morning. I am. An expectancy to see the goodness of God. That God will be good to me today. That God will be good to my family today. That my children will have a good day. That Heather will prosper at her work. Why? Because I believe he's with me. And he's never mad at me. God doesn't hold grudges. God's not mad. He's not. When God takes out his wrath, it's against the things that are against you, like I've said before. All the wrath was poured out on Jesus. Was he mad at Jesus? No. He became sin. He became sin for us. God's judgment was on sin. Jesus became sin for us. 
God wasn't mad with Jesus as a child who sinned. He was mad at the sin, but the sin was in the child. The only way to get the sin out of the child was literally for another one to take it and become it. He became our sin, undefiled. He was perfect, never sinned his entire existence. And all of a sudden, someone who was perfect and never sinned, their entire existence was made vulnerable to our sin and literally took it upon himself and bore it in his own flesh. Not as someone who sinned, but as sin himself. He became sin. God did this to himself. Why? And I honestly believe this. Because he didn't want to live without you. He could have destroyed the whole world and forgot about it. God didn't want to live without you. I don't want to live without my children. And if I had to afflict my own self so they could live, I would do it. And I'm nothing like God in the flesh. I am in my spirit. That's how much the Father loves us. That's how much he values us. And like I've heard other preachers say, you can't afford to have a thought in your head that God doesn't have about you and His. It's detrimental to your health. Not your spirit, your health. Because your health will suffer when you think your spirit is. But your flesh, your soul, your thoughts, your will, your emotions, they can be afflicted. They can be affected. And that's why Satan tries to blur stuff to keep us from seeing with precision. That's why he tries to scatter us in seven different directions. We're fighting the devil. We're fighting the flesh. We're fighting ourselves. And our eyes, they're not single. Our bodies aren't full of light. And then we have to ask ourselves, how great is the darkness, Lord? (laughs) I know there's light in here. But how great is the darkness? That's what Jesus was asking them. I look forward to the days that come with great anticipation, with an expectancy. I don't know exactly what they're going to look like, but I've seen a glimpse of it. I know in part. Therefore, I could prophesy in part. Speak to my future. I have the ability, you have the ability to speak into your own life. You have the ability to speak into your own future. You have the ability to speak into your friend's future. You have the ability to speak into your children's future. That you could cause them to see themselves clearly, clearly in Jesus. And there's hope and an expected end in him. Because he knows the plans that he has for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. To give us hope in the future. God's desire for humanity has always been good. That's why it says in the book of Isaiah that we shall be built upon goodness. This is our foundation. It's goodness. God was good to me, and I didn't deserve it. You know when the blood of Jesus is most precious to me? When I miss it. After I feel like a for real sinner. That's when the blood of Jesus becomes so precious to me. Because I realized that that blood one time cleansed me for all time. I'm sanctified, set apart, and still useful to God. Still desired by God. 
Because all the sin action that this flesh would ever commit, all the judgment for it was already put on Jesus. All his innocence was already put on me. And you know when that happened? Before I was ever born. Hmm. (laughs) I bet you before you were born too. (laughs) I don't know how old you are, I'm just saying. (laughs) Oh, God is good. With open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we're changed into the same image from glory to glory. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says. It says, looking unto Jesus. So where are we looking? Unto Jesus. The author. If you author something, what do you do? If you're the author of a book, it's yours, right? (laughs) Yeah, if you author something, that means you wrote it. You developed it. It's yours. It came from you. And that's what it says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So when you first got saved, what were you doing? You'd have to be looking to Jesus. How is it going to be finished? Because he uses author, the one who started something, and he uses finish, the finisher of it, in the same sentence. And what precedes both of those words is looking. (laughs) Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And then it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. You know the heaviness that he wore in the garden? The heaviness that caused him to sweat blood? That heaviness only lasted a moment. That was a light momentary affliction, like the Apostle Paul says, which only lasts for a moment. (laughs) Light momentary. Because in the eyes of eternity, that's not what Jesus is reminded of. Jesus isn't reminded of the affliction, we are. Jesus is reminded of you every day. (laughs) The joy set before him. (laughs) That's what he's reminded of every single day is you. You're the joy that was set before him because he looked into eternity, into our timeline, and he's seen you. And he said to the Father, Father, they're worth it because I was there when you created man. And without me, they would have never been created. And without me, they'll never be saved. For the joy set before him. Listen to what Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says. For in him, we live, move, and have our being. For in Christ, we live, we move, and we have our being. Religion has told us that in us, we live, we move, and we have our being. That's so contrary to Scripture. (laughs) It is. For in Him we live, we move, and have our being. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 says. It says, But of Him, he's talking about God, are you in Christ Jesus. God has placed you in Christ. Who of God, talking about Jesus again, is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Scripture saying that we've been put in Christ by God and Jesus was made for us because we're found in Him. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Doesn't that cover about every single part there? <laughs> sure does. <laughs> but what if you thought that your sanctification was in you? Then all of a sudden your vision becomes blurred. What if you thought your redemption was based upon you, that you can lose your salvation? Then all of a sudden, your vision's blurred. 
you're not seeing clearly. What if you thought sanctification was your end of the deal? <laughs> Vision blur. All of a sudden, the light within you becomes darkness. Why? Because you can't focus on two things at one time, no matter how hard you try. You can't do it. Listen to what Jesus said. Because Jesus was and still is the answer to life, right? And death, right? Yeah. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you feel like that? Paul's whole body was full of light. Why? Because he was single-focused. His eyes were focused on one thing. Every time Satan would try to come to get Paul to change his focus, he couldn't do it. There was one time he almost got away with it. And the Apostle Paul, you find him praying to the Lord and saying that I beseech the Lord three times that he would remove this thorn from me. And three times he answered me, my grace is sufficient. <laughs> Pointed him right back to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That in one of the hardest trials the Apostle Paul was going through, that God would point him right back to Jesus. It's the light that he needed. Remember there was a time in my life where I just kept failing continually and I felt like a failure just all around. I'm driving in the car and, you know, I deserve correction on like a high level <laughs> at this point in my life. And the Lord says to me, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You want to know why it was the Lord? I don't think like that. He said, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. I needed a thorn out of my flesh and God gave me a word. <laughs> Be like, Lord, I just really need you to take this thorn. I understand the whole pillar and, you know, or, I just really need you to touch me and take away the thorn. And he gives me a word. Why? Causing me to focus. On what? On me? Nope. On him. His plans for my life. Because if I would have focused on the, the route I was going, that was the enemy's plans for my life. It was a path of destruction that would lead to death in some area of my life. Maybe my freedom, I don't know. But when he caused me to focus, it took away the lie about the thorn. Because the thorn always seems like it's, it's going to take you out. The thorn always seems like it could rob you of your destiny. The thorn always seems like it's bigger than you, and at the moment it feels bigger than God. The thorn isn't the issue. The thorn will never be the issue. The only reason why Satan ever comes is for the Word's sake. The only reason he's ever going to come to try to take something from you or do something to you is for the Word. That's it. No other reason. No other reason. Listen, no other reason. None. You have to understand that and you have to stop taking things that go wrong in your life personal as if it's you. If you can make changes, yes, make changes. And don't start blaming other people for your mistakes. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about aligning yourself with what the Word of God says about you and to you. 
so that that word can get in you. And once it gets in you, you will live through that word. You won't live through failures. You won't. Any time that Satan has ever come to try to take a word that was sown out of my heart, he's never been able to do it because I would never lose focus of God. Yes, we are superhumans because of the Spirit, but the Apostle Paul was just as human as you are, and he was filled with the exact same Spirit you have. Let me give you something different. Jesus was just as human as you are. Wow. Jesus was just as human as you are. We don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Ain't that what it says? But was in all points tempted like we are. Yet he was without sin. Because as a man, just as human as you are, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The same one that you have. You're not less superhuman than the Apostle Paul. Let me give you even something more harder for you to swallow. You're not less superhuman than Jesus. Wow. That'll smack a religious person in the face. That'll get you killed. Honestly, it will. They say, who are you making yourself out to be? You're claiming you're equal with God. That's what got Jesus crucified, right? Are you Jesus? No. (laughs) No, you're not. There's a reason why we call him Lord, because he's the eldest brother. He's the firstborn among many brethren. He's the firstborn. We call him Lord because in Jewish custom, the firstborn was the Lord. He's the one who was over all his brothers. He was actually responsible to take care of them. Wow. Here we find Jesus in the role as an older brother responsible to take care of us as younger siblings. Jesus' main mission was to reveal the Father. The Father's mission is to reveal the Son. As we, through the Holy Spirit, reveal the Son, the Son reveals the Father, and in return, the Father reveals the Son. He never reveals our sins once the Son has been revealed. If we have sinned, He still reveals the Son. In the place of our sin, He still reveals the Son. Once you come to God, He will never reveal your sin to you because in the place where you miss it, your sin is not what you need to see. You need to see the Son. Because in the Son, there is no sin. And actually, that's who we've been placed in, is the Son. We're in Him, and in the Son is no sin. And we're found right there in the Son. His main reason for coming to earth was to bring humanity back into relationship with the Father. Jesus didn't come just to save us. Jesus' main goal, main mission in the earth was to restore our relationship with the Father. And in restoring that relationship, we're saved. (laughs) Amen. Every gift he operated in was to point to the Father. Whether it was healing, prophecy, words of knowledge, or anything else he did. It was done for one and one reason only, and it was to reveal the Father. Everything he did was to reveal the Father. And we're talking about having blurred vision. Even when it comes to the gifts, if the enemy can get us to use these gifts for any other purpose than the original intent, everything becomes blurred. 
because the gifts that Jesus operated in was through the Spirit, but it was for one purpose, and that was to reveal the Father. The Father's heart was to heal humanity. How was he going to heal humanity? Through the Son, which was going to reveal the Father and bring us back into right relationship. What was Satan's temptation for Jesus? If you be the Son of God, show me. If we use the gifts of God for some kind of twisted qualification, we're not using them based upon the original design that they were intended for, which was to point to the Father. Jesus used the gifts to show that God sent him. Jesus did. Do we use the gifts to show that God has sent us? Seems like we would do the same thing, right? No, we don't. No, we use the gifts to show that God has sent him. Jesus, not that God sent us. Jesus in return reveals the Father. The Father in return reveals the Son. He's not trying to reveal us. Our whole mission in life is to reveal the Son and whom reveals the Father who points back to the Son. And it's that little twisted, blurred vision that the enemy tries to put into believers that has them all of a sudden trying to do miracles for some kind of qualification so that they can show they're accepted. No. The reason we want to see miracles, signs, and wonders is to show that Jesus was accepted. He did them in the name of the Father. We do them in His name. We don't do them in our name. We're not trying to build our own kingdom here. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was busy with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Lord, do you not care? See, we read this with Martha's just so polite and Lord, do you not care? No, this is frustration. Lord, do you not care that my sister Mary has left me to serve alone? She's actually frustrated. Tell her to come and help me. Listen to what Jesus says. Luke chapter 10, verse 41. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. The word careful there means anxious. You're anxious and troubled means disturbed about many things. But listen to what he says in verse 42. But one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Martha has just prepared this big feast for Jesus who just raised her brother from the dead. All these honored guests are there, which you'll see in the book of John. All these honored guests are there, and she's probably been working really, really hard. And why Mary has been sitting at the feet of Jesus, I can guarantee you she's already went unto Mary two or three times and told her to come and help. You don't make a scene like this in front of honored guests unless the person you've been talking to isn't listening. <laughs> 
It's probably the fourth, fifth time she's probably went in there. And right now she's so fed up with Mary that she's mad at Jesus. <laughs> it's true. She's so mad at Mary, she's mad at Jesus. Because she says, Lord, don't you care? But Jesus' reply to her frustration because in the natural, you would think, oh, my goodness, Mary, look at you got your sister all worked up here. You know, I know you want to be in here, but this is a place for honored guests. Women weren't given a place at the table. This is her house. This is Mary's house. Martha's her sister. Lazarus is there. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. But Jesus says one thing is needful. He don't say, yeah, Mary, you should, you should get up and help. You see all these guests. No. You know what Martha was trying to do? She was actually trying to shame her sister into coming and helping her because she wasn't listening. She thought, well, the only way I can do it is to accuse Jesus of not caring and shaming you. She's like, I'm all in. <laughs> Jesus says one thing is needful. I imagine Martha walking away. One thing is needful. What's that even supposed to mean? <laughs> one thing is needful. Yeah, for her to help me. <laughs> Let's go to John chapter 12, verse 1. We'll compare these. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. Okay, same story. Martha served. I love it because you're about to see something. John doesn't focus on what Luke focuses on. But when you put them both together... They paint such a beautiful picture. Because if you look at Luke's account, Luke focuses mainly on Martha and Jesus' word. John doesn't. John focuses on Mary's offering. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table. Then took Mary a pound of ointment and spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor. <laughs> Do you see this though? Do you see the spirit of condemnation that is in this house? that is trying to shame Mary for sitting at Jesus' feet. It couldn't come through the voice of her family, so it tried to come through someone who was actually close to Jesus. The spirit of condemnation was in the house, but the spirit of justification was in the house. And the spirit of justification is greater than any spirit of condemnation. When we know that God has justified us, we'll never feel condemned. Martha couldn't shame Mary so next thing you know, we know for sure that Judas was operating by the spirit of the devil. So <laughs> it wasn't the spirit of God talking through Judas here. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, leave her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she done this. For the poor you always have with you, but me you will not have always. 
I was trying to line everything up when I was reading these stories and I was like, well, could they be separate stories? And I'm like, as I start lining it up and reading and stuff, and I'm like, there's no way. There's two different feasts where Jesus is invited to a supper and other honored people are gathered around and Martha's the only one serving. (laughs) Did Mary just rebel against serving from that point on? No, no. It's the same story the same exact one. But this is how my mind arranges it. Whether it's right or not, I don't know. Jesus says to her in the book of Luke, one thing is needed, and that thing will not be taken away from her. It's a promise, right? Those are Jesus' words. Okay, I imagine Mary at that point getting up. Whether it happened in this specific order, I have no idea. But I imagine Mary at that moment going to get up And everybody assuming that she's going to help because she was just shamed. Even though Jesus justified her, Mary still got up. This is how my mind works. Bear with me. Instead of going to help, she comes back with her most valuable possession, breaks it and puts it on the feet of Jesus and wipes it in with her own hair. Would that be shocking to you, especially if you just thought she was going to help and she comes back and does something so extravagant to Jesus that it causes other people to be mad? What would make Mary do that? What would make her want to do that? Because she chose to stay in there even though she was being condemned. Her sister was condemning her. She chose to stay there because she really believed that this was more important than the other. That when other people told her she should leave, that she didn't deserve to be there, that Jesus not only wanted her there, but that he would justify her. And I imagine her getting up and saying, I'll show you how much I choose this. I'm willing to give the best that I have to it. That would have probably been for a dowry. Heather was explaining to me yesterday how a dowry worked. It was usually provided by the father of a maiden and would then become part of the marriage agreement. It was essentially part of her inheritance. As far as I know, women didn't own land unless she was like a widow or there's an example of seven daughters in the Bible so that the name of the father didn't pass from Israel. They were given his land. But as far as that, I know women didn't own land in Bible days. So it was an essential part of her inheritance. But this wasn't the case of Mary as far as her inheriting land and stuff like that. She didn't inherit any land. Her brother was still alive. So the dowry was to ensure that she would end up in a good family with someone who would provide for her. So in essence... She was saying, I'm not worried about being provided for because everything I need I found in you. I love that. I absolutely love that. Why? Because her vision wasn't blurred. She wasn't looking at serving and sitting at the same time. What she already knew in her heart that only one thing was needful, what she knew in her heart Jesus said out of his mouth. And when he said that, he said it won't be taken from her. 
what you know in your heart? Jesus has already said it out of his mouth. That only one thing is needed and it won't be taken from you. Why? Because we're not dual focused. We have one focus. The focus is the Son. And as we focus on the Son, we see the Father more clearly. And as we see the Father more clearly, we see ourselves more clearly. Because He came to give us an inheritance. That inheritance was stored up for us before the foundation of the world. If Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, we were in Christ, put in Christ. It already existed in the mind of God, in the heart of the Father. He came to give us an inheritance. Right now, you have inherited the most precious substance of this earth, the earth to come, the heaven now, and the new heavens. That substance was part of your inheritance, which is God himself. You've been sealed with them, the scripture says. You know all things. He teaches you all things. He's real. He's not counterfeit. Amen? Today, you have a promise of breakthrough that the Lord will break through. When you go to sleep tonight or when you wake up, wake up in expectation and hope to see the goodness of God in your day. The days of being discouraged and down, they're over for you. Listen to me. They are over for you. You're a conqueror. You're mighty. You're strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You know your God. And the people that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits, the Scripture says. You know your God. You're known by your God. You carry Him in you. He's with you and all around you. He really is the air you breathe. He really is. Because every breath that you take is given from Him. Without Him, there is no oxygen. See Him in your day to day. As good. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just thank you, Father. I thank you for your word. I thank you that our lives are already blessed. But I thank you that you go with us as we leave. That you stand before us, around us. That you keep your people safe, Lord God. You said that your sheep know your voice and a stranger's voice they won't follow. Father, these people are your sheep. They're our sheep and they know your voice. And I thank you that the stranger's voice from this day forth, that they silence him, Lord God. That when he speaks, they tell him, shh, you have no right here. Father, we thank you that from this day forward, everyone in this room will hear you more clearly. That we will make time for those quiet moments that we will rest content in the person of who you are and who we are in you. That you made us for purpose, that you designed us with destiny, and that no lie can rob us of our destiny because we're rooted in the truth, and the truth makes us free. So, Father, I thank you. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. And right now, I thank you that your Spirit's here and that everyone in the sound of my voice not only is free, but that they remain free full of light, Lord God. No darkness at all as we stay single-focused on who you are in your person. In Jesus' name, amen.